0: Welcome on in, Eagles fans, to a special hot take, no huddle show. Joe Giglio, along with Elliot Shore Parks, Matt Lombardo. They cover the Eagles for NJM Eds Media. We haven't done one of these in a while, literally. I haven't been on the podcast for a few weeks, and we haven't done a loss, you know, a podcast after a loss, a reaction one, since week two when the Eagles went down to the Chiefs. This past week, the Eagles lose in Seattle 24-10. to They did not play well. It was sloppy. The refs were an issue. The coaching wasn't great. The quarterback wasn't great. There's a lot to talk about. We have a lot of your reaction on Twitter, a lot of your reaction on email. Let's get into it as, as we get into a big week here with the Eagles. They'll be in Los Angeles for the full week. The Rams on Sunday. But let's rehash what happened and, and get to a lot of reaction here. Elliot. it's been a couple days now. The Eagles... I kind of forgot what this was like. The Eagles haven't lost in a long time. And for the first time in a long time, they didn't play well. It wasn't just they got beat by a great team. Seattle's pretty good, and they're great at home. But I thought, Elliot, the biggest theme, we'll get into a lot of the reasons, the Eagles just didn't play well on Sunday
2: night. Yeah, well, first things first, let me just say. I'm. Well, actually, first, let me say, Joe, it's nice to have you back. But second, I'm loving being in California. Like, this week that the Eagles are spending out here, I really think it's going to be – it's going to be a test for him just from being down, you know, around the team hotel, seeing the, the players hanging out with their friends and and their family, you know, uh, different players brought, brought their family from, uh, from back in Philly. I saw a few players that live in California, getting their cars delivered to the hotel. I mean, it's going to be a test for them this week. And it's interesting. And I wonder if, if Doug could do it again, if he would, if he would bring the team out to California for a week, because you brought up the Seattle game and how they just didn't play well. To me, one of the biggest takeaways from that game, now that we're 30, you know 36, 48 hours out from it, is that Doug Doug felt that this team did not prepare well for the game. He said that um, briefly after the game on Sunday night, and then he said it again uh, to uh, to the reporters here in California on Monday. He felt that practice wasn't good the week ahead. He felt that it was it was sloppy. It wasn't detailed, and that's a red flag to me because if that's a problem this team's having, yes, it's in that way, it's good that they lost. But if the problem that they had leading up to the Seattle game was that they were sloppy, you wonder how a week out in L.A. is going to be the remedy for that. And, you know, yeah, the Eagles didn't play well. I think one of the takeaways was Carson Wentz. Um, when the, he doesn't play well, this team isn't very good. That's why he's the MVP candidate and, and maybe the MVP of the league. But I think this week in California is really going to be a test to, uh, to just how committed this Eagles team is to winning and how mature they are at this point of their of their uh, re- rebuilding process.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And, Matt, this whole thing kind of escalated quickly. I mean, they were 10-1. and 1, They were rolling. The Eagles were the talk of the NFL. One loss changes things. They're no longer the number one seed in the conference as of now. And you guys are out in California. The Eagles are out in California. We'll get to all the reaction here in a second. But just off the loss, Matt, a couple out, you know, 36, 48 hours later, What are your thoughts on this team as we head into this week?
1: Yeah, guys, I said after the game that unequivocally the game against the Rams coming off a loss of the Seahawks was an absolute must win for this team because I don't think that this Eagles team has the playoff experience necessary or is really built at this stage to go on the road in the playoffs and win. We saw them stumble against a very playoff caliber Seahawks team with an elite quarterback with a defense that even though they're banged up on the back end, still very physical up front, the Eagles did rush for 98 yards, but they weren't really effective in running the ball. They weren't effective in running the ball on first and second down, which set up Carson Wentz to be in third and long, and they had some costly turnovers. So it was a really sloppy game, and I think that the Eagles bouncing back from that is imperative. And you look at the standings, Joe, you talked about it right off the jump. They're now the number two seed and hanging on by a thread in the NFC in terms of getting a buy in the first round of the playoffs. It goes all the way to the fifth tiebreaker with the Vikings, which is strength of win, and the Eagles aren't catching Minnesota there. They're they don't play each other head-to-head. They don't have enough common opponents. The, the winning percentage of the strength of victory stat, the Vikings are 464. The Eagles are 375. And what that means, it's the winning percentage of the teams that you beat. And the Eagles still have the Giants looming on the schedule. It's not going to do them any favors. But just look at what's behind the Eagles right now. They have the Rams at 9-3 playing really good football. They're believing in themselves. Their first winning season in over a decade. You have the Saints at 9-3. Never discount Drew they have three division games, two against the Falcons. So you're really going to know what the Falcons are by season's end, whether they're going to be a team with a bye, a team out of the playoffs or a team in. Um, don't discount Drew Brees. But my thoughts, guys, they have to win on Sunday or else they need to come to grips with the mindset that they're playing on wildcard weekend.
0: All right, let's get to a lot of the reaction here and then we'll circle back and kind of look forward a little bit to the week in California you guys have and the Eagles have. Two big themes emerged from the game on Sunday. Two big talking points outside the referees, which we'll get into them as well. But the big themes, the big criticism, Elliot, you started with Wentz. We'll start with him, and then we'll get to Doug Peterson, what he did, didn't do, and kind of just the feeling the Eagles had going into that game. But Carson Wentz, I didn't think he played well. I I know the second half he put up some big numbers. He had one spectacular play, which he always Mm -hmm. seems to have one of those a game, which just is amazing. You say, how did he do that? But he misthrows, um, you know, the first half to Nelson Aguilar, the second half to start the half to Aguilar. If he pits him in stride, I think Aguilar still running. I mean, Aguilar could have 200 yards in that game if, if Wentz played better. And then, of course, the fumble out of the end zone. Here's some of the reaction, and we'll get your thoughts on, on the way Wentz played. Uh, at J.D. Carr, still waiting from that come-from-behind win for Wentz. Still have not seen it. Can't win a championship without a quarterback who does not have the it factor. Hashtag the no huddle show a Snyder a one too many self-inflicted wounds went is inaccuracy and then Vincent uh said Alshon holding and Wentz fumbling were fatal Wentz played really bad very concerning Elliot just your thoughts on on when someone we haven't had the opportunity to have anything really critical to say for for a long time
2: did I hear you correctly saying that the the fans said Wentz doesn't have the it factor so well, nope. well at least one did <laughs> so I mean I would disagree with that in my opinion, um. I think Wentz has shown uh, he's showed shown part of it last year, and I think in the first eleven games this year, he's shown he does have that it factor. Um, that being said, I you know as many times as we've done this podcast this year and we've talked about Super Bowl aspirations and all those things, we've always said that their biggest the biggest um, threat to them is that they don't have the experience and they don't have the playoff experience that that the other teams have. That's what you saw in Seattle, and to a certain degree, I think that's what you saw with Wentz a little bit. Um, I mean he he just didn't play well for as much as we want to talk about you know the defense struggled with Russell Wilson um I thought it was a rough week for the Doug for head coach of the year uh campaign I thought he you know made a few questionable decisions at the end of the day if Wentz plays better there that game is much closer if not a winnable game I mean you mentioned the throw to Aguilar that's a throw he absolutely has to make even the completion the 32 yard completion they had and I think it was the third quarter if he throws that better Aguilar might score on that um and then the fumble going in I mean that's That, I think, falls more on the line of just a great play by Sheldon Richardson, but it's still unacceptable if you're a quarterback to fumble the ball like that as you're going into the end zone in such a close game. So, I mean, for all the praise Wentz gets every week, he gets plenty of it nationally. He certainly gets a lot of it on this podcast. This is not the week for him. He was
1: really bad, and he's the top reason they lost the game. Yeah, Elliot, we talked about this a little bit on the postgame reaction pod from CenturyLink, and it's the fact that all year we've talked about Carson Wentz rising to the occasion, being dominant, the numbers that he's putting up, and he's really been the catalyst to the Eagles' success. I think that Sunday night was the first time, and going back and rewatching the game on the flight a little bit on the way down to Los Angeles yesterday, I thought this was the first time that he kind of shrunk to the moment. And I don't put mm-hmm. all the blame on him, because Seattle did a really nice job of pressuring him specifically up front, and Halapulaviti Vitae. He was just getting beat left and right, didn't play well, and the result was Carson Wentz not having a lot of time in the pocket. And as a result, after he got hit a couple of times, there were two or three throws where he was really flat-footed in the pocket. His mechanics seemed off, like we talked about, missing that throw to Aguilar in the first quarter. I put it on Twitter during the game after it happened. I knew it was early, and I didn't want to sound like I was overreacting, but that felt like a game-deciding type of play, because we can talk about the Eagles playing down to the moment. We can talk about um, Carson Wentz... know reverting back to maybe some of his mechanical mistakes that he made as a rookie and feeling the pressure both of the crowd both of the actual pressure of the pass rush but I just don't think that he played all that well as you said and I think that when you have two teams like the Seattle Seahawks that needed that game I mean they lose that game basically all hope for them winning the division is lost basically uh tiebreaker situations with them and the Falcons and the Panthers are lost they needed that game they played like it it was a hostile environment Environment. And I thought that Wentz kind of shrunk in the moment. And I don't think that, you know, he got a whole lot of help because the receivers didn't get a whole lot of separation. Zach Ertz got hurt. And the offensive line, outside of maybe Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey, didn't play all that well either.
0: No, they didn't. Uh, we, but Wentz, and Matt, Matt mentioned Elliot, his mechanics, the, the throw, the overthrow to Aguilar was so bad. And it just feels like the game on Sunday, when, when they play <coughs> teams like the Seahawks in the playoffs when they play teams with really good quarterbacks in the playoffs, Drew Brees, possibly, uh, maybe the Seahawks again with Russell Wilson, um, you know, any type of Super Bowl matchup likely will have a great quarterback on the other side. Wentz has to at least match the other quarterback. They've gone so long where they played just a bunch of guys he's better than and their teams are better than we haven't had a quarterback duel in a while. We might get another one on Sunday, but Russell Wilson just totally outplayed Carson Wentz on Sunday.
2: And yeah, let me just say too, um, I I do agree with Matt that Wentz didn't rise to the moment, but let me, let me throw this at you guys. Um, the when I rewatched the game and, you know, I, you know, retake, re kind of think about what happened. The, the Seahawks were, they were in Wentz's face from the jump. I mean, they hit him yeah. early. Uh, they, they hit him on that slide. They hit him, uh, after a throw and I, I don't want to say it, it rattled him, but it does seem like uh, teams this year haven't really been able to get to Wentz number one, but when 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 I've seen teams hit Wentz this year, he's more like just kind of clapped and looked towards the sideline and kind of walked away. He was engaging it in a little bit. And I just I'll ask you guys, do you think those early hits had had an impact on him? And I don't want to say it's a blueprint, but are we seeing that, you know, if, you, if you're the Rams and you watch what the Seahawks did? Yeah, you take a 15 yard penalty penalty early in the game, but then, you, you know, it turned into Wentz's worst game of the year.
1: Uh, do yeah. you guys think those 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 hits rattled him early on? Oh, I think absolutely, and we talked about this a little bit in the press box afterwards, Elliot, and I think you're absolutely right. Between the hit when he was sliding that wound up drawing the penalty, between a couple of hits in the pocket after he threw the ball, some brutal hits um, that didn't result as a sack because it got there maybe just a hair late, the one he came up kind of grimacing looked like he was in pain. I think you're absolutely right. You got to remember, this is a veteran coaching staff with Pete Carroll. It's a very aggressive and dominant, uh, opportunistic defense that Seattle has, particularly in that front seven. And I think the game plan was, hey, you know, nobody has really gotten to Wentz this year. You know, let's rattle the kid. We're they're in our house. We knocked him around last year when he didn't have a lot of weapons and he didn't play all that well. We can feed off of our crowd. That can kind of snowball and build some momentum behind us. And you know, to the Seahawks' credit. They were able to generate the kind of pass rush on this offensive line to make that happen. And that's what concerns me and not to look too far ahead to Sunday. but We have Michael Brockers and Aaron Donald. They're combined for 11 or 12 sacks on the year. That's another team that can get to Wentz, that can rattle him and make him uncomfortable in the pocket. He didn't respond well at all to pressure the other night. And if you're going to beat the Rams, it might cut into a shootout situation because of all of their weapons on offense. If Wentz doesn't learn from that tape or if they don't make the adjustments along the offensive line, like maybe putting Brent Selleck over tie side, maybe, you know, activate, maybe using Corey Clement in a pass chipping, helping situation. It could be another long night for Carson Wentz. I mean, he needs to respond to what happened on Sunday night against a defense that's capable of replicating that same blueprint.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. And I'll throw this stat at you guys. So this is, from, this is from pro football focus. The Eagles offensive line allowed 27 pressures on Sunday night. Um, that's eight more than any other offensive line had this past weekend. And it was the highest number since 13 In week two against the Chiefs. So it's double that more than double that. And then they haven't done that since week two. So it's been, you know, Carson hasn't faced this in a long time. Elliot, we'll we'll kind of can move this into a discussion about Peterson. and We'll do kind of a big picture thing on Peterson and decisions. But what do you think about the way Doug has to now maybe move forward, protect Carson? Do you think this is a big problem or was it just Seattle's defense is good? It was a tough night for Vitae on the offensive line.
2: That's a tough question because on one hand, I do think Vitae has played well this season for the most part. He's certainly among the five offensive linemen now that Peters is gone. He certainly uh, has, has been the worst of the five. Um, we talk about shrinking to the moment. I do think it's worth mentioning that if you look along that offensive line, Kelsey is a veteran. Wisniewski is a veteran. Brandon Brooks is a veteran. Lane Johnson's a veteran. Uh is in his second year. So, you know, maybe the crowd, the the moment of playing in Seattle got to him. But if we just talk from a strictly X's and O's standpoint, I mean, I you know, I know I've said that I think that their playoff experience is their biggest weakness. But if we're just talking about the 22 starters, <laughs> Vitae is an issue. Um, you know, he he's the biggest issue among them, I should say, at least the cornerbacks have played better. Uh, the running backs, obviously, have done a pretty good job, even though they weren't that great in Seattle. But Vitae and his ability to protect Wentz is huge. I mean, if quarter, quarterback's the most important position in the league, left tackle is the second most important because that's the guy that protects your quarterback. And if Vitae's not going to get the job done, this Eagles team it, it, it's in a lot of trouble. Um, so the question going forward will be, was this just Vitae having a bad game because he shrunk to the moment in Seattle? And how will he... Will will he step up next time? And you know when this team does make the playoffs, or was this just maybe a sign of things to come? And if it is, the Eagles are in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah, they will be, and they need to coach around it. If it's you know if that's the reality now for this offensive line. All right, let's talk about the coaching. Doug Peterson again, another person, another key figure on this team. We haven't criticized much. There hasn't been reason to criticize in a long time. He got some on Sunday night. He's been getting it since. All right, there's I think there's a couple of ways we could take this, Matt. We could talk about yep. the game plan itself, the way they played, and then some of Doug's decisions. So let's just start with the kind of the overall game plan. There was a feeling after this game, really during it, that Doug, for the first time in a while, wasn't himself, which means wasn't aggressive. Didn't go for it on those fourth downs. Came out running more than passing, even though the secondary for Seattle, a little banged up. That might have been a protect Vitai, but just that's kind of the theme off of Doug this week. Matt, what did you think about the way Doug Coates kind of philosophically more conservative than we've seen in, in recent past.
1: Yeah, I, I thought, guys, to be honest with you, I thought maybe he was a little bit intimidated by Pete Carroll. It, it just, you know, Pete Carroll's a veteran coach, and, and you're going on the road into that environment. I think that being off and being not quite himself kind of sums up, you know, the performance from uh, Doug the other night. I mean, you look at just the first quarter alone when they decided to punt on fourth and one from the 47. I get it. And, and, I, and on, at the time, I tweeted, hey, you know, don't go for that there, pin the Seahawks back, tilt the field, get the field position. Um, but there were a couple other situations where he did go for it. And then the challenge play on the third and inches, where they went for it anyway and QB sneaked, which was the drive that was capped with the Carson Wentz fumble. Just it, it, it felt like some mental lapses from Doug Peterson. I don't really understand why you challenge there if you're going to go for it anyway with a six foot five quarterback who excels at the quarterback sneaks. I thought they didn't take enough chances downfield, as you talked about, without Cam Chancellor being back there and the Seahawks being banged up without Richard Sherman, Um, it it just didn't feel like Doug was as aggressive as he's been all year. And I think that we saw the 2016 version of Doug Peterson versus what we've seen in 2017. And, And Elliot, you and I touched on this a little bit during the game, just sitting there watching and going back and forth. That felt like that Packers game. It felt like mm-hmm. that Packers Monday night game against Aaron Rodgers where they had the one-yard challenge spot where you know you could question a lot of Doug's decisions in that game last year. I, I just think that whether it was not having his team completely prepared, whether it was being worried about the lack of preparation from practice, whether he thought that his team had gotten maybe too big of a head sitting there at 10-1 and one and they were full of themselves a little bit, whatever he was over guarded against, I think he, the pendulum swung way too far Part of the conservative side of things when he, this team has been so aggressive when Doug Peterson has been so aggressive on the year. And then, you know, not to keep
2: harping on the lack of experience, but again, Doug is also a young head coach. And I think that he did get a little conservative in, in a big spot there. And the issue with the, uh, the forward pass or the, the, the past that looked to be forward by Russell Wilson, that he should have challenged. He talked about that on Monday after the game. And he basically, he got a little defensive. Um, you know, the we, the reporters asked, well, why, what, what did you do wrong there? What, what happened that you didn't challenge that play? And he said, well, what do you mean what happened wrong? And he, he got a little defensive about the process, and he said essentially he basically blamed not challenging that call on – the fact that he had lost a challenge already on that Torrey Smith, uh, challenge, which, which you mentioned, I agree was not a good challenge when, when you already have fourth and inches in a big quarterback. But he basically said, because he lost that challenge, he was hesitant to challenge something else and the Eagles didn't get a good look at it. So in that way, it does make sense. But I just think sitting in the booth there, being in the stadium, that felt like a huge, I mean, it was a huge play, but also it just completely swung the game back in the Seahawks favor. So I just think the fact that Wilson's running down the middle of the field I would have challenged it and just taken the shot there because the, the yep. chance the chance he didn't do a, a forward pass there seemed very slim. Um, so I think Doug, I don't want to say he shrunk to the moment as well, but I, I do think he uh, he got his first taste of of coaching on the road in a big playoff game. And no, the results weren't encouraging, but I think you know just like Wentz in a way, I think now with Doug, I'm confident enough in his ability to coach that I don't think it's overly concerning. Let you know, the, the same way with Lance. I think they'll both
0: bounce back, but it was concerning to see. Here's some reaction we had on Doug Peterson here, and we can kind of react off of this. Um, Peterson, his worst game of the year, coached not to lose and just lost some points in my book. The Eagles should be worried about. Peterson needs to lose his challenge duties. He also can't have a toss play in third and one. Doug is going to prevent this team from winning a Super Bowl. Those are from uh, at Osprey for Life at Jesus
2: How the tide turns so quickly.
0: How the tide oh, it's so quickly. <laughs> at First underscore Sun underscore of MD. Uh, Matt, is in terms of Doug and the challenge stuff. Elliot just touched on it. I, I feel the same way that I, I know it's tough. I think it's tough for us to sit here. Are you guys up in the booth or any fan at home and say just throw the flag? Meanwhile. Doug's on the field. He clearly didn't have any angle. I mean, wherever he was on the sideline, he probably had almost zero ability to gauge if that was a lateral or not by Russell Wilson. And I'm sure upstairs are telling him, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Seattle's going the line. I get that. But it was kind of alarming to hear him say that the first half decision, which was wrong, whether it was the booth or him making that final call and deciding on doing it, that dictated the second half decision, that felt like a play in the second half, the Russell Wilson lateral, that was worth the gamble. Yet the first one, the first
1: challenge, basically dictated whether or not he would take a gamble there. Guys, let's not forget that if he... Challenges that play and it gets overturned as it should have and as it probably would have. That was a third down and eight play and that forward pass. That's a penalty and a loss of down. So it's fourth yep. down. So you know I, I really can't understand and I get it that the, the answer of oh well, we didn't have protractors in the booth like they do on TV and it's limited time and blah, blah 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 blah. But as a head coach and as whoever is advising him from the booth, you have to weigh the risk versus the reward. There the the risk is okay you lose a timeout so. So maybe then you only have what at that time would have been, well, two timeouts remaining in the second half and, and
0: you lose your second challenge. That, that's, no more
1: yeah, you have no more challenges. Okay. And that that's all well and good, but the benefit is there's a very good chance you're getting the ball back there. Yeah. There's a very good mm-hmm. chance. They're going to reverse that. And the Seahawks are going to punt the ball to you. And that was a game defining play. I mean, you were down 17 to 10 at that time. You, you obviously at that moment don't know that your defense is going to buckle and you're going to give up a touchdown uh, on that draft drive and you're not going to be able to overcome it. But getting the ball back down 17 to 10 with uh, what would you have had, Uh, seven minutes left in the game, that's a lot different than getting it back down two scores. So whether it was not having an angle, whether it was getting bad advice, I think Doug Peterson needs to have a better sense for risk versus reward in that case, because if it's me, i'm okay losing a timeout i'm okay not being able to challenge because of the score the time the situation and that if you get it right that's a loss of down penalty and you're getting the ball back so i thought well, that that was a critical mistake and maybe the worst decision he's made since last year
2: let me wait before we get to the next reader question let me throw this uh, at joe because i know on the post game pod it's something me and matt discussed a lot and i've been really interested to see the reaction to the loss and in general, on Twitter and from callers, you know, I, although actually I haven't been able to hear a ton of callers coming out, out west, but just from the different fan reaction to the loss in terms of is it, is, how big of a deal is it? So let me ask you, Joe, um, what, what is the mood like there back in Philadelphia since, since that loss? And what's your opinion on whether, you know, is this a concerning loss? Is this one they can just kind of brush off? Or do you think this is like, is this a legitimate loss where you can sit there and say, all right, this is changing my outlook on this, on, on this team?
0: I think people are concerned because, you know, I I think there was a sense last week, guys, that people were making too much of the fact they haven't played many good teams, right? You are who you you play who's on your schedule, you beat them and whatnot, but now they played a good team and lost. So Mm -hmm. I think people are starting to maybe, like, uh uh-oh, maybe that was real. Maybe that stuff about them not playing anyone was real, and maybe there is reason to worry. I think there's a lot of angst now, and people are looking forward because it will give – A sense, another litmus test to how good they are. But I do think that the other segment, and I'm sure we'll get to this more into this episode, that they beat themselves more than the Seahawks beat them. I think that. See, I I take that as a positive. I I disagree. I I disagree.
2: disagree. Yeah. I I think the Seahawks beat them. Yeah. I I don't think the. I mean, you know, obviously, whenever you lose a game, you're not. you, You don't play your best. That's a lot of times why you lost. But. I, I disagree. I don't think this—just watching it, I did. to me, it didn't look like the Eagles just didn't play as well as they normally do. I mean, Wentz did, didn't play well, but I, I do think the Seahawks in the moment and the stadium and all that, I think that played a role in that. I don't think the Seahawks are better than the Eagles, but I think on that night, they they played con- considerably better. And I, I think they just—they out-coached, they out-played, they out-hustled,
1: they, they just— they beat the Eagles. I don't, I just. And here's, here's the other thing. And I took a lot of heat back after the San Francisco game by saying that that was the blueprint to beat the Eagles. And I think that what we've seen, not necessarily, my point back then was that the Eagles made a lot of mistakes early and they were able to overcome those mistakes, able to overcome not playing well in the first half because they were just simply the better team. There was more talent across the board and ultimately talent is going to win out. We've seen this team kind of walk a high wire act over the last couple of weeks when it comes to turnovers, when it comes to penalties. You saw it against the Bears. Um, they got away with it against the Cowboys, A sloppy first half, because again, without Ezekiel Elliott, that offense changes completely and Dak Prescott um, is, is a different quarterback without Zeke Elliott back there. And the Eagles defense forced him into making some costly mistakes and Wentz turned it around in the second half. You talked to Jason Kelsey, you talked to Lane Johnson, you talked to Torrey Smith after the game on Sunday, and guys, they all said the same thing. Jason Kelsey flat out said, you know, we've had a lot of penalties, we've had had a lot of turnovers and you can play that way and win when you're the better team. The point here is the Seahawks and the Eagles, the discrepancy between the two of them, just as it's going to be on Sunday, because I think the Rams and Eagles and the way that they're built, they're really a mirror image of one another. And the talent gap isn't all that different, but Sunday night you saw two playoff caliber teams. You saw two teams that are built to win in the postseason, and it can be one penalty. It can be one overthrow. It can be one mistake that determines the game. I think that Eagles fans have really gotten high on this, you know, 17-point wins and putting up 51 points on the number one defense in the league. We lose sight of what competitive football is supposed to look like, and, you know, the stats weren't all that different. The Eagles rushed for 98 yards. I believe that the the Seahawks rushed for something like 101. One um, Time of possession wasn't all that different. It's just those one or two mistakes cost this team. And playoff caliber teams, Super Bowl caliber teams, they don't make as many mistakes as the Eagles have made over the last couple of weeks. They've gotten away with it before. They're not going to get away with it against teams like Seattle, against the Rams, against the Vikings, and if they somehow make the Super Bowl against the Patriots or the Steelers.
0: Well, that's fair. No, they won't. I mean, you saw that. They're not good. No team really in the NFL is good enough against another good team, especially on the road, a desperate team to play like that and win. But here's why I say they beat themselves. Uh, They had 16 more plays. They had over 100 more yards. They had more yards per play. I mean, I can make a case if Wentz doesn't fumble the ball, and he hits Agler when he literally would have walked into the end zone. I, I think he would have made it all the way. They win, yeah. or it's it's tied with a minute to go. Whatever. Like I agree. The, the game was that close. Yeah, the, the only, even though they played like garbage in in moments. The only, the only. Thing I disagree with you, on. I agree with with the missing
2: Aguilar for sure. But I think we say, "Well, Wentz fumbled the ball." Uh, I think a more accurate way to say that is Sheldon Richardson stripped the ball out of Wentz's grip. Okay,
1: all right. Well, we'll change the terminology and say that he scores a touchdown. If he scores that touchdown, and if you hit Nelson Aguilar and he scores a touchdown, that's a twenty-one point swing because the Seahawks went down, recovered that fumble, and scored. So to me. I, I'm with Joe. If you score on that drive when Wentz had the ball stripped or it fumbled it out of the end zone. And if he hits Aguilar in the first quarter, it look, I mean, do the math. It, it's a tie ball game as it is, but I think they win the game. I think they win the game without those. Two I mistakes.
2: don't, I don't think so. I don't just being there watching it. I think the Seahawks were the better team that night. I think they were more prepared for it. I think this is the first time I've seen all year a team out a team come out and smack the Eagles in the mouth and the Eagles just not be able to handle it at all. I think the the Seahawks were going to win that game regardless of it. And I mean, again, you, you can say, well, if he hits Aguilar, yeah, if he hits Aguilar, maybe it changes things a little bit, but the, the the fumble thing was not just Wentz jumping the ball. I mean, that was the Seahawks doing what they did all game, which is basically, in my opinion, outplay the Eagles. So I, I, I think that... From the jump, you know, when they, when they fell behind quickly, they fell behind 10 nothing. And I tweeted this, and it, it's crazy to think, but, you know, the, the Eagles are 10 1. They have one of the best offenses in the league. They have the MVP candidate. When they f- fell behind 10 0, I was, I, I was positive they weren't coming back. And it says, maybe it says something about what I really feel about the team, but I think that was a feeling from a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people believe the Eagles were going to come back and win that game.
0: No, it's what's a very difficult I think we a lot of people last week because the Seahawks are down and they had lost two straight home games, it was like, Oh well, Seattle's not a tough place to play anymore. And and you look up after the game, they're forty eight and three in their last fifty one home games. It's a tough place to play. I'm with you LA. When they fell down, it felt like just not gonna be the night. Let's get on to one more thing that was the theme from the game and then we'll kinda look forward and there's some response people remaining positive about after the loss, which is is always a weird thing. Um, we had a, a bunch of tweets about the referee. I want to get your the refereeing and uh, your thoughts. You guys were there in the building. What you thought of our the calls. favorite
1: subject. Yeah, I was going to say, Always. I really
0: want to go first on this one. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> so uh, here, I'll read the three and I'll give you a stat, which I think is interesting if nothing else. All right. Uh, at 80 and crawl said, not going to say the refs lost us the game, but it had an impact which shouldn't happen in professional sports at Cantonou, five, seven, five. The Eagles could not beat the refs this time around. At at not ion zero, um, the refs were awful. But you might have that in the playoffs. So I saw this stat actually, Angelo Cataldi, who um, who writes uh, once in a while. He threw this stat out. I didn't hear him say it, but I saw him write it. Uh, he so Tony Correnti was the, uh, the the lead referee on Sunday night. Seahawks are eighteen and five when they have Correnti. Eagles are now five ten and one under Correnti. Take those numbers for what they were, but just there that those are reality now. Uh, Tony Corrente, Ellie, you go first. Refs on Sunday night. I didn't think they were good, but I didn't think that's why the Eagles lost the football game.
2: Eagles fans every week sound like a bunch of complaining soccer parents fans on the sideline, <laughs> just complaining about the referee. Every call is every call that they get flagged on was a bad call. Every time something happens, they should have been flagged. That wasn't it's, it's the end of the world. It it it's, I don't I'm not saying it's pathetic, but it's every week. You you can't blame the referees for the, for the loss at all in this game. The Eagles are a team. First of all, the Eagles are a team that sh- that struggles with penalties in general, and this isn't some big, you know, attempt by the refs just you know, colluding together and making sure that they don't flag Fletcher Cox be- being held. I mean, the Eagles at times are a sloppy team. They're they're still a relatively young team at big positions, and it shows, and they they get flagged a lot. So. You know, you can point to uh, what what a certain team's uh, record is when a ref's calling it or whatever. The Eagles did not play well on Sunday night. The refs had absolutely zero to do with it. Yes, I know the, the derby pass interference call wasn't a good one. I'm aware. But – that was very early on in the game. The the Eagles did not lose this game at all because of the refs. And honestly, hearing fans complain about it every week, whether it's against Seattle, whether it's, you know, the Pete Morelli thing back from Carolina, they gotta get over it. It is what it is. The referee being a ref's a tough job. Every week, every fan of every team feels like they're, they're, they're not getting the calls. And if the Eagles, and you know what
1: that means, Elliot, that means the yeah. refs are doing their job because right. it, it's the same reason that everybody hates Joe Buck. Joe Buck stays neutral, right? Joe Buck, uh, isn't going to be Merrill Reese. He's not going to be Mark Zumoff. He's going to call it like it is down the middle. And you know why Joe Buck is one of the best announcers out there? Because you can fly into any city and every fan base is going to bitch and moan about the way Joe Buck calls games. And is that an axe grind again, it's anybody. There's no fan base that he's out to hate or torture. Just like these refs the other night, we can talk about the records of games that they officiated and all of those things. I'm with you. I don't think that the the refs had any impact on that game whatsoever. And if we want to talk about the lateral pass that wasn't called, that's a bang-bang play live. On tape, it's pretty much a bang-bang play. But if Doug Peterson throws the challenge flag there and it gets overturned, that changes the whole scope of that entire game. And I don't think we're looking at the refs the same way. And to hold that call against an officiating crew is silly because it looks like it comes down to inches or even centimeters as to whether or not that was a forward pass or not.
0: Yeah, I agree. And the funny part, you brought up Buck. Um, Matt, Joe Buck had a tweet in during the playoffs, and he like put two tweets that he had received next to each other and screenshotted it. And one was someone, it was during the um, the Yankees Astros series, one was someone from Houston who was like, you suck, you root for the Yankees. And then it was someone from New York who was like, you suck, you're rooting for the Astros. And it's... <laughs> Uh, I just thought it was perfect because, yeah, I mean, obviously he gets that all the time. I, I didn't think they were great at the Derby. But they weren't great on either side. The Derby play was obviously a penalty on the Eagles. It didn't even out. I mean, that stuff happens. The Eagles, it, that's like reason towards the bottom. If if you want to even put it on the list of reasons they lost again. The There's so many speaking, other things.
2: Speaking of referees, and this could be, an, I'm sure we got some emails about Alshon, but the, the holding call, we're talking about big plays from the game. The yep. holding call on Alshon, I believe it was on the first driver. It was definitely early on in the game where LeGarrette Blunt runs from the 14-yard line down to the four, Alshon has a pretty meaningless holding call where, I mean, I think Blunt would have, you know, got where he did without that. Mm -hmm. Um, Negates the run, pushes him back. Uh, I thought that was huge. And, you know, in Alshon's first game, I got a lot of heat for for writing this, but in Alshon's first game since signing that extension, he was a non-factor. He was basically who Alshon is the majority of the time. He had a few catches. He had, you know, somewhere between 50
1: and 70 yards. And he made a mistake. And It was a blatant week. penalty. I mean, it, right. it, it was like, a blatant you, you penalty. Can't, yeah, you can't call. point to the refs. I mean, we can talk about it being a pointless penalty, which it was. He blatantly held there. So for fans saying, oh, you know, why'd you throw that flag? Or there's holding on every player? Or, or, or what else is being lobbed in our direction on Twitter the other night? It was a blatant call, and it was a call that had to be made. I I don't want to get into a whole Alshon-Jeffrey debate because we're 35, 40 minutes into the podcast. I kind of dispute the notion that he's a non-factor, quote-unquote, most of the time. Um, But he didn't play well on Sunday night. I I agree with you. Nelson Aguilar was the better receiver, um, but you look at what – What Alshon Jeffrey had did in the previous weeks against Denver, what he did against, uh, you know, the the Bears the other day against his former team. He has big games. He has big moments. um, But, you know, he's not a top three or four receiver in the league, but he's also not the 40th receiver in the league either. Well, statistically, he might be. I have to look it up, but I mean he's not. I mean he's not being paid like the
2: 40th receiver. He's being paid like a, a top 10 guy statistically between catches and yards. I don't think he's is he's in the top 15 or 20. So, uh, Joe, what do you think of the deal? You haven't had a chance to really. Uh, I feel. I'll say it on the blast pod. I feel. I feel bad for Matt that he he misses his chance to to shine about the deal, <laughs> and then Alshon has a bad game first time he's on the uh, on on the, on the pod. But Joe, what do you think of the uh, uh, extension?
0: I wasn't surprised they extended him because that's. That's like, that's what the Eagles always want to do keep their guys. And and, I mean, look, if you told me before March that they got Alshon on a five year, $61 million deal, which I think when you add it all together, the one year deal he's on plus what they just gave him, I would have said that's a good deal. I was a little surprised at all the guaranteed money because I had just haven't been overly impressed with what he's been this year, and I worry about his body moving forward. Um, so I was kind of in the middle. Like, I, I get it. I know they want to resign him. He's a good player. I thought they might have got him cheaper if they kept him and waited to the offseason. But um, see, that's obviously, obviously how he knows what he's doing there in terms of yeah.
1: maneuvering the cap to keep him. Yep. I think that if you waited until the offseason, there are going to be a lot of teams with a lot of money to spend. The cap goes up every year. And you look at the names that are going to be available, Allen Robinson coming off a torn ACL, Larry Fitzgerald in the twilight of his career. There aren't many big-name top-flight wide receivers. And all it takes is one team to come in and say, hey, Alshon, we'll guarantee you $16.5 million per year, say the Cleveland Browns, for example. You know, there are teams that can throw silly money around. That's how you wind up losing – Jeremy Macklin, that a team comes in at the last minute and outbids you. I know that's no way to do business in terms of situations with Macklin versus Jeffrey, but it's proactive to lock up the players that you think are part of your core. And When we talk about Carson Wentz's continued development, I don't know that he stays on this trajectory without a, a veteran, talented wide receiver of Jeffrey's caliber. And I don't know how you give him that for this year and then take that asset and that weapon away next year. So I, I think this is a long-term play, much more than it is a one- or two-year deal for the Eagles.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but on Sunday, at off his first game uh, the, with the new contract, Nelson Aguilar was obviously the best receiver they had on the field. Yep. I mean, he gets open the most. And maybe that's just a product of the offense and the way Doug schemes it. But uh, I feel like if there's a big play, I feel like Nelson's the one – Uh, I think it's going to make it. All right, let's look forward a little bit here. I know you guys will do a preview podcast. You'll be out in Los Angeles, the, the California trip all week with the Eagles. But just there was some positives off of the game in terms of reaction and in terms of people feeling that, you know, this thing is not over yet. And there's a lot Look, there's a lot for the Eagles to look forward to on Sunday. And There are a lot of people who feel like, hey, there's a big game on Sunday. There's still a lot of positives. Elliot, how do you feel as we just look at this team heading into Sunday and in terms of where they're at and the positives off of they lost the game, but now it's a big challenge against the Rams?
2: So from, from being out here in L.A., uh, I think, and I really hate saying this because I've been so like they're going to smoke the Rams, the Rams aren't that good, blah, blah, blah. I think staying out here in L.A. is a mistake. I think it's something that especially wow. coming off the – I think coming off that week of a uh, slope, a uh, bad practice, uh, bad bad practices um, for the Seahawks game, and now you're out here. Just you know, I know I don't always see the players on their off day, so it's a little bit of a different perspective for me. But like, I just really think that it's practicing out here with you know being at the baseball stadium and all that. I just, I don't, I think it's bad. I, I just, my first day here, like, obviously I'm loving the weather and I'm being out here. And I mean, I'm I'm pumped I'm out here, but I don't have to play on Sunday. And I just, I don't know. I just, I'm not feeling as, as positive about this Rams game as I used to. And I promise I'm not using it as, as an excuse. If the Eagles, if the Rams beat the Eagles, I will let Matt have his glory. But I'm just saying... I I am I'm not I do not have a good
1: feel for this game. Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking, guys. I'm not looking for glory. I, I'm just saying <laughs> that when you look at teams in the NFL when you look at teams in the NFC, if we want to say the Eagles are the best team in the NFC, right? If we want to talk for weeks and weeks and weeks about they're the team to beat, they're the team to beat because they have Carson Wentz, because they run the ball, because they pressure the quarterback, and they have a good offensive line, and and they were well coached, right? Those are the five attributes. All I've been trying to say, and all people don't want to hear, is that. You look at the Rams. Good young quarterback, dominant running game, dominant wide receivers, dominant offensive line, aggressive pass rushing defense. See a comparison there? I, again, I'm not looking for any glory. I'm not looking here trying to sound like a Rams fan. I just think the Rams are really good. And I think that we saw the Eagles go up against another team that's really good into the Seattle Seahawks, even though they're banged up on the road. And I think this is a really tough spot. I, I don't know that I would have flown the whole operation back and forth and taken a nine hour flight home and a nine hour flight back. I think staying out here is the right move, but how they respond to it, how they respond to the things that Elliot's talking about, that's going to be critical. Can they be more focused? Is this going to be like a training camp situation where everybody's hunkered down in the team hotel? Are they going to have organized activities throughout the day? Um, maybe it's better that they were here as a group on their off day so they could kind of sit around and and, and maybe pop in some extra film, maybe talk about what happened on Sunday night. Maybe it's better that they're clustered at that hotel, uh, we're going to see how it plays out. But I think that if they lose this game, I think it's just because the Rams were the better team. Just like if they win it, it's going to show you that the Eagles achieved, in, in my opinion, what will go down as their most impressive victory of the season.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of responses here in terms of being positive heading into this Rams game. And I think that I think the Rams are good too, Matt. I mean, it, both these teams are averaging 30.1 points a game. And right. uh, the point differentials are basically identical. It's like 140-ish each. They both have been good. It's a big test. But a lot of people are hanging on the positives um, at master freaks that I wouldn't say it's a concerning loss, just more humbling uh, at L ball 94. I think it's good for them. Learning experience time to refocus out on the West coast. And at Frank J hall, we can overcome this Got to clean up the mistakes. Lence seems to be a bit smarter, but we're fine. Uh, Elliot, we'll end with this and you guys, I'm sure we'll have a prediction later in the week. How big do you think this game is? Not just in terms of, I mean, obviously the reality is, If they don't win, they're probably not going to get the number one seed. That's probably going to be out. But I just mean their psyche in terms of what they can accomplish. Do you put this as – I think you might have said it on the podcast. Is this a must-win? Is this a very big game? How do you look at this game now compared to what just happened in Seattle?
2: If they lose both the the Seahawks game and this Rams game, I think it dramatically changes how we look at this team, like dramatically. So in that way, it's a must-win. I mean, look – they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to host a, they're going to host a home playoff game and if they win that game, you'll look at you look at the team differently heading into the second the to into the second round because Probably they'll, on they'll the have road. some momentum. Right, all that stuff. But my point is if they lose both of these games, it's huge, um, and I think it's absolutely a must-win game for their psyche, for the standings, for all that stuff. I think just for, with how much this team talked about wanting to send a message to the NFL on these two weeks and proving themselves, for them to go 0-2 I think would be a pretty big blow blow to their psyche. Um, it, it's a must-win game. They, they they have to win it, and if they don't, um, you know, fans are not going to like what we say on this podcast because they're going to have to deal with a lot of harsh realities about what this team is if they do lose.
1: Yeah, but you said it, Elliot. It's not what we say. It's the harsh reality of the situation. If they lose this game, they'll have lost head-to-head to both the Seahawks and the Rams. The Rams would leapfrog them for the second seed in the playoffs. You're playing from behind uh, for the rest of the way, and you're hoping that the Rams slip up. And I know that they have a couple tough games down the stretch, but you don't want to put yourself in that tiebreaker situation because you already lose the tiebreaker to Minnesota. You would lose head-to-head to Los Angeles. I think this is an absolute must win because I don't believe in this team going on the road in a second-round playoff game. And at all costs, you have to avoid – playing that first playoff game because if you host the Seattle Seahawks coming east, if you host the New Orleans Saints coming east with Drew Brees or Russell Wilson, those are two losable football games and you can talk about all you want that this team wasn't supposed to be here, that they exceeded expectations. If you start 10-1 and and you lose at home a wildcard weekend, that's a monumental disappointment and I think that winning this game kind of turns the tide. You come back home, you reset with a game against the, the Giants, which is going to be no picnic at MetLife, especially with a new coach, but you reset. And I think that you kind of keep pace to get, at least, at the bare minimum, get the bye. And players have been talking about getting a bye week for at least the last two games afterwards. So this is a must win because if you lose this game, it becomes much more difficult to get that bye week and to get any more than one home game during the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I'll say I'll end with this. I think it's going to be the pivot point for where they are in January for the how this season ends. You know, I guess you call it a must win for those from that perspective. Obviously, they're 10 and 2. Like it's not really a must win. But for all the things you guys are talking about, it feels like it. So the Vikings play in Carolina on Sunday. They could lose that game. The Eagles win. All of a sudden, they're probably the number one seed again. And I don't know where they think could the, win. Or they right? Or the or, Vikings or the could opposite. go in and win. Totally.
1: Don't is, don't don't shortchange Case Keenum in that defense. <laughs> no,
0: I'm not. But don't
2: shortchange completely... Case Keenum is a sentence I thought I would never hear. Neither <laughs> Did you? So I exactly. mean,
1: if you watched him lately,
0: though. No, you I know, know. I agree. That's it's just good. funny that that's what we've reached with him. But it's I. Funny. I... This weekend, we'll just—I fl- think—we'll flip everything. If Minnesota loses, and they could certainly win, and the Eagles win, I think it turns again. And I don't think the Eagles will lose this season if they win this game. If they want to play out each week, I don't know how Doug's going to rest guys in week 17. But the other way, like Matt, that's you were open to yeah. Case Keenum can win Sunday again. The Eagles could lose the bye's out, and then we're wondering if they're going to even get uh, or the first round uh, home field advantage out, and then we wonder if they're going to buy. So. We'll have a whole w- different conversation next week on their trajectory based on this game. Guys, enjoy California. This has been fun. And Elliot, I'm looking at it. What are we at? 310 reviews on the pod?
2: Yeah, we're getting up there. Yeah, something like that. We wanted at 310 by the Rams game. So we're already ahead of that, which obviously- We got
1: it before the Seattle game. We're we ahead did. of pace.
2: We did. Unlike the Eagles, we're keeping pace here. They're, they're falling off a little <laughs> bit. We're keeping pace. So I appreciate everyone, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Fan Friday because- we asked uh, people to say where they're listening from, and we got a ton of different answers. The no. little, uh, I will say quickly, we got a few people from North Dakota, which I liked because I didn't think uh, – no one had said that before, so that was cool. But uh, I look forward to Friday reading some reviews and uh, talking about where you guys are listening from. So if you're listening and you haven't done it yet and you want to have your review and you know a shout-out to your hometown read right on the pod,
0: uh, get that done before Friday because we'll, we will do it on Friday. Sounds great. Matt, as always, thanks for doing this. Enjoy California.
1: Looking forward to the week, looking forward to the game, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, Joe.
0: You got it. Thanks, Elliot. Enjoy California. Yep, talk to you guys soon. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the No Huddle Show. As Elliot was saying, subscribe on iTunes, anywhere you listen to podcasts, and leave us a rating. We're looking for as many as we could get on the path as we go through this season. Thanks for listening right here on NJ.com.